This is Who Makes a Podcast. Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Angie Griffith. Prior to podcasting, Angie spent a decade in the music industry managing the careers of high-profile clients, and she has strategically advised a wide variety of clients, including touring musicians, brands, nonprofit organizations, and independent podcasters. A couple of years ago, she realized that the unique mindset and strategies that globally recognized entertainers are using to achieve their success can and should be implemented by entrepreneurs and content creators, including podcasters, and that is exactly what she shares on her podcast, Four Things for Your Podcast. Featuring a wide variety of industry thought leaders and noteworthy guests, Four Things for Your Podcast encourages podcasters at every level to dream bigger and think outside of the box as they strive to amplify their powerful and unique messages through podcasting. Angie lives in Nashville, Tennessee, very near to me, and we recently met at a Nashville podcasters meetup. We did a podcast audit during that meetup, and it was clear to me immediately as we started digging into Angie's podcast that she was somebody I needed to have as a guest. So I am very excited to have Angie on the show today, and I know she is going to have a ton of valuable and insightful information to share with both you and me. For the full show notes and links to everything we talk about in this episode, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash e twenty seven. To find Angie, go to fourthingsforyourpodcast.com. That's the number four. And now here is my conversation with Angie Griffith. Angie, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome to be here. It's so weird being in like the other seat because I'm usually the host. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny you brought up that podcast audit. What a nerve wracking thing, right? You and I both did it. It was, yeah. (laughs) Just to have this whole room of podcasters critiquing every little (laughs) thing about your podcast. It was super helpful though. Actually, after that session, I went home and I I did um, redo my show description. I haven't did yet you? re-recorded my intro, okay. but I rewrote my show description and I feel so much better about it. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you made any changes from the audit. Yeah. So that was one thing that you did. Anything else that that came up that you thought about? Not specifically from the audit, but what I will say is if there's a podcaster listening, as hard as it is, if you can get feedback from people, especially feedback from both buckets, like the bucket of people that are podcast industry, not even experts, just in the podcasting industry and they understand it. And then another bucket of people that are just podcast fans and know nothing about the behind the scenes of podcasting. If you can get feedback from both groups, I think that it will significantly improve your show. Have you heard um, Jack Reischer? Reischer? I'm not entirely sure how to say his name. Darknet Diaries? No. No? Okay. So he has a podcast that then the advice that you gave is very similar to what I think he did is the story that I heard is he started making his podcast and then would send it out to people specifically asking them, like, what do you think about this? If you stopped listening to it, where in the episode did you stop listening? Why did you stop listening? Would you recommend it to a friend? Like on a scale of one to 10, how how likely would you be to do that? And he methodically improved the episodes of his podcast to the point that 
he gets like six figure downloads for every episode now because he spent so much time getting feedback and improving what he was putting out that it, it people are like, I have to share this. I love this so much. It's such a great podcast. So I completely agree, you know, getting, getting feedback from other people, other podcasters, definitely something that we should all be doing. And feedback from your listeners. Like you said, there's an episode I just released recently, depending on when this comes out, Recently, at the time of recording, it just came out this week, my episode with Alex Sanfilippo, who's the founder of Podmatch Mm -hmm. and Pod Lottery. And we were talking about ratings and reviews and the importance and how to get them and how to make sure that you're making content worthy of a five-star rating. And Alex made a really good suggestion to my audience saying that you really should be speaking to your listeners in a way that doesn't scale. So rather than sending, you know, a form, blasting out a form to your email database, really contacting people that you know listen to your show and asking for their feedback on on your show. And his obviously explanation goes into way more depth than I can do, just kind of recapping our conversation. So if anyone's interested, highly recommend checking that episode out. Um, and I actually did the opposite. And I was, <laughs> I really, un- I, I understand where he's coming from yeah. and speaking to your listeners in a way that doesn't scale. But me personally, I, I do have to prioritize my time. <laughs> and so I did link a Google form in that episode show notes. And I'm curious to see how it performs. And if anyone actually takes action on that form, like I said, it just came out this week when we're recording. So I haven't gotten any yet, but I, I am excited to see when that comes through and I will take those notes to heart and yeah. try to improve the show as much as I can for my listeners. I think on that episode, he also said that he would ask people if they would get on like a five or 10 minute call with him and he would ask them some very specific questions about what they liked or didn't like or anything like that about his podcast, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm surprised you listened. Thank you for listening. I did listen. I actually <laughs> actually really like your podcast. I've been listening to a lot of episodes lately. It's it's well, as somebody who makes a podcast about podcasting, it's right up my alley. So I appreciate you making it. And uh yeah, it's good. Well, thank you so much. I actually was listening to your latest episode again at the time of recording with Brandon Hall, who yeah. is a mutual friend of ours, who I actually met at the same Nashville podcast meetup where I met you. I don't know if you met him there as well. Was he at that meeting? Uh, I don't know if he was okay. at that specific one, okay. but I've met him at one in the past. I was going to say, because that's the first one that I went to. Oh, really? How did you know Brandon? He got linked up to me through Scott Johnson who I had interviewed previously. Oh my gosh. And he was like, I know somebody in Nashville. If you're in Nashville, you should reach out to him. And then also there's this Facebook group and this meetup that you should go to. (laughs) No way. That is so funny. What a small world. Well, I was listening to that episode with Brandon and he goes through this long list of podcasts for podcasters that he listens to and loves. And I know he listens to mine and I was waiting for him to bring it up and he didn't. And I'm like, what the heck, Brandon? I'm like, maybe he'll, maybe he'll mention it later. Maybe it just slipped his mind. Nope. Whole episode went by. No shout outs from Brandon Hall. (laughs) There are so many podcasts out there. There are. Yeah. All right. So you sent me a, a very long and detailed bio describing what you do, what you've done, it's a ton of stuff, mostly managing and partnering with different musicians, artists, brands, et cetera, to, I assume, help them along in their careers. Why Why go with podcasting? Why make a podcast? Why focus? I know you're starting a, a business. You've started a business on podcasting, helping podcasters. Why this this vertical, this this medium? 
All I can say is it's fate because of how it happened. (laughs) I never had any intention of going into podcasting. I was in the music business for my entire career. I was managing touring, recording artists. And I just realized about 10 years into my career that I was working 24-7 to build somebody else's empire. And that just didn't make any sense to me. I was thinking, if I'm going to work this hard... It's going to be to build my own legacy, not somebody else's legacy that could fire me at any moment because artist management is a lifestyle career. Like there's no days off my entire twenties. I didn't turn my cell phone off one time. (laughs) That's how it was. And so I decided to start exploring what options were out there. And I actually have a whole episode about this story on my podcast. I listened to it. Yeah. But to make a very long story short, um, another manager in town, essentially, a I don't want to say a competitor to the company I was working for because it really doesn't work like that. But the same type of company that I was working for, artist management, I had a conversation with them about building out a brand partnerships department. And it was the best of both worlds because I was getting to partner with them on the department rather than having to start my own business, which was scary. And I didn't necessarily have the resources to do that. Um, And I still got to kind of tie in my background, which is music industry to what we were doing going forward. And it was kind of like the perfect scenario. And when I was leaving one of our final meetings, the owner of the company said, Hey, Angie, like both of us have extensive networks in the music industry, but do you have any idea how we can create relationships with the heads of brands? Because to have a brand partnerships department, you're connecting artists with brands to put together campaigns. And I had to think like quick on the spot. And I was almost too embarrassed to even say this at the time. This was what year would this have been 2018 or 2019? I was like, well, what if we started a podcast where we're interviewing the heads of brands? Because we don't necessarily need that person right then, but then we're starting to build relationships across the board with all these major companies. And when there is a fitting opportunity, we have a direct contact that can connect us to the right person within the company. And he was like, holy shit, that's brilliant. Like, do you know how to start a podcast though? And I was like, no, no but I'm a manager. <laughs> My job is to figure things out. I'm sure I could figure out how to start a podcast. It can't be that hard. Yeah. So I spent the next, I think it was like two weeks or so, just learning everything I could about how to start a podcast. And that part's easy. Like starting a podcast is easy. The tech, sure. you know, that's easy to figure out. But what I started to realize was we can't start a podcast based on what the podcast can do for us. We have to start a podcast based on how we can serve an audience that actually wants to tune in to what we're giving them so that we're able to reach you know, enough people to keep this thing sustained and going. And so my project turned more into figuring out less about how to start a podcast that I threw together very quickly into a Canva presentation. But the rest of the presentation was a mock podcast that I think people would actually listen to. Yeah. And I did a whole mock photo shoot. I made cover art. I made a logo. I made an Instagram account. I basically had to present to the company, hey, this is what I'm suggesting we do. So you basically started (laughs) the podcast. Yeah, I essentially did. And after that meeting, the owner of the company pulled me aside and he said, Angie, I don't 
think we should start this brand partnerships department anymore. How do you feel about me signing you as our first ever podcast client? I'll match the salary that you're making now plus bonuses and we'll just see what magic we can make. And to me, that's like a dream come true, right? Like, And it's so unheard of. Anyone in entertainment can let you know a manager doesn't sign another manager. Like doesn't happen. I've never heard of it happening. The closest example is Chrissy Metz who plays Kate on This Is Us. She was a former talent agent who then went on an audition. But that's the only other time I've ever heard anything like this happening. And so that was the plan. And then we both thought about it separately. And we came back together and we said, well just because of how much relationships matter in this industry, we both felt that it would be the right thing to do to bring the opportunity to my current company first, knowing full well that my bosses were going to be like, what? Like, no, Angie, like, good luck. We support you. And thank you. We appreciate it. But no. Yeah. So I fly to LA and I'm sitting down in our big fancy conference room in front of all of my bosses and I'm sharing with them what all is going down. And I had prepped them for this in advance. It wasn't the first time they were hearing it. And their response to me was, okay, well, we'll match your salary. Plus you keep your assistant plus bonuses. And so I was like, what is happening? Like (laughs) what in the world is going on? And so that was the plan. And I went back to the other guy and of course he was like, you know, what's meant to be will be, I love and support you. And I wish you all the best. And we still have a great relationship. Um, and so that, that's what I did. And I started, you know, I filled in my assistant and I, I was day-to-day manager for two clients at the time. I was able to transfer one of the clients to a manager that was just getting promoted. So that was fine. The other one was a legacy act that I had been with for the whole time I'd been at the company. I was the only manager to ever work on that account. And so I knew that one would take some time. And so while we were interviewing managers for that client, I started to work on the podcast idea and then boom, the pandemic hits. Ah. And we're all like, well, this doesn't make any sense right now. We can, you know, our entire revenue was touring. Yeah. We had to Oof. pull down all of our tours. So <laughs> of course, to take a risk on that kind of project, it just wasn't possible anymore. And it didn't make sense for any of us. Yeah. Um, and so in the meantime, I decided, well, at the direction of my bosses to build out a podcast division because our mindset was, okay, Angie, you can still be getting experience in all things podcasting while finding new money for the company. Right. And so I really took full advantage of that opportunity and set as many meetings as I possibly could because I had a very powerful email address and I could get a meeting with anybody I wanted with it. And I was able to, you know, make some really cool deals happen for our clients, um, launched a podcast, did a network deal. I mean, just like a bunch of random things, did some consultation. And then when we were kind of circling back up to putting back up all, all of our tours and getting back to normal business, that original plan just didn't really make a ton of sense anymore. We had all kind of grown and I had different interests. Um, and it just made sense for me to essentially take the division and take one of the clients with me with his podcast project, um, which was good to kind of like kickstart my company. Um, And then I just decided to start my own podcast and do my own thing and and really focus on building my brand as a creator while doing things to, you know, bring money in and pay the bills as well. So it's like a hybrid. It's like, yes, I'm building a brand and a business, both as a creator and as, you know, I, I just 
started a network and I signed other shows to the network. And it's just, you know, so much going on as is typical in the early stages of entrepreneurship, but all very exciting. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. I mean, did you go back to that other manager and be like, Hey, can we do this again? Or are you just not interested at that point? No, at that point, I just wasn't as excited about that idea. Yeah. And I was more excited about owning my own intellectual property and not having to answer to anybody and just seeing what I could build on my own without having to take an investment from somebody. Yeah. No, I I understand that. That's super uh, honorable and and inspiring, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, the gall to try and do that without a day job. So I, I'm very impressed by that. I will say one thing I learned along the way, since you brought that up the first year I was just, I was putting as much work into this as a full-time job, if not more. I was right. like, I'm, I'm going to work just as hard on my own thing as I did working for somebody else. That's the only way this can succeed. And I put myself in a lot of debt. And so my suggestion for somebody else in this same position is figure out, don't stay in a corporate career where like constantly are having to compete with people and climb the ladder and please people. No, but do have some sort of income coming in and make time for that so that you don't kind of screw yourself over like I did. Um, now in this second phase, I am also nannying. I'm also doing DoorDash if and when I have to. And I'm proud of that because I'm being scrappy to follow my dreams and there's nothing wrong with that. Who hasn't door dashed at one point or another? I've, I've delivered a McDonald's bag once or twice. It's amazing. It's so, I, when I found it, I was like, why have I not been doing this this whole, like even while I was a manager, my bosses would have hated that. (laughs) They would not have let me do that. But yeah, I mean, it's such an amazing opportunity. Stuff like that is out there like Instacart or, you know, there's dog walking. There's so many options. Just don't put yourself in a position where you're, you're relying on the income from a brand new business, especially as a creator, because it takes time and you're going to be putting out energy that is so desperate that it turns people away. And it's going to start to take you even longer than it would if you would just relax and not let, not have everything hinging on whether or not people are listening to your podcast or buying your products. Uh, So I have another follow-up question to that story, but first I want to say, I think I'm right in this, that Phyllis from The Office, I assume you've seen The Office. The Office? I've never heard of that. Really? Yeah. The Office? The TV show, The Office? I'm just kidding. Oh my God. (laughs) Your face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Jeez. I know Phyllis. Go on with okay. your story. <laughs> I think she was a, a, a talent scout when they started. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the title. She was one of the people that were trying to, to a, a casting person, like casting roles for that show. And then, no way. yeah, ended up being an actress on that show. Oh my gosh. That's well, now she's the third person I know. I would confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that that was, that was the case. All right. That's so cool. So you were at that, Initial meeting with other manager guy who suggested the brand thing and and you spat out, we should do a podcast. Were you listening to other podcasts at that time? Like, did you have an idea of what a podcast was? Yes, I was obsessed with podcasts at that time, which is why I think that came to mind so quickly on the spot is because I was just in that frame of mind in that season of life. It was when I first really started 
binging podcasts. Um, When Serial came out, that's when I feel like podcasting really went mainstream in a huge way. And Serial is what got me into the podcast app. But at the time, I didn't really love Serial. I didn't see what all the hype was. But it really got me exploring what other shows were out there. And I really um, started listening to lots of entrepreneur-type shows um, and brand-building shows. And that, I think, is what catapulted this whole thing, is listening to all of those podcasts. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how many people still don't listen to podcasts when there's almost guaranteed to be a podcast about something that they are just so excited about. Like You can get so niche in podcasting. There's something for absolutely everybody. So it kind of kills me a little bit when people are not listening to podcasts. Everybody should be listening to podcasts. I just posted an Instagram reel about this yesterday. My little brother, the joke was like a reel. It was, it was like a joke on, you know, still asking my brother if he's listened to my podcast yet. And of course he hasn't, you know, something (laughs) like that. But the caption was teaching my audience, Hey, your family and friends aren't your target audience. So don't be upset if they're not listening to your show um, and more focus on the people that you are trying to reach and try to reach them. But in that caption, I did talk about how I wish my brother would just open the podcast app because there are <laughs> things that he's interested in, yeah. but he won't even give it a chance. And and it it actually gives me hope because I know there's so many people like him yeah. that once they find that one show that hooks them, then it's just going to snowball from there. So that means that as a creator, if you're just now getting into podcasting, there's still so much opportunity because there's so many people like that that haven't even discovered the app and your show might be the first that they discover and what an opportunity that is. Why do you think it is that people find podcasts so enjoyable? What is it about listening to a podcast that kind of hooks people in? For me personally, it's the fact that I'm a huge multitasker. Okay. And I let I listen to podcasts while I'm working out most of the time. And it's a really great way to train my mind and train my body at the same time. And that's how I started listening when I first got into it. And it was all entrepreneur type podcasts at the time. And I learned so much just in my gym time. I felt like I was an expert in this new world. Yeah. And I was bringing a lot of value back to my company with stuff that I was learning, especially in the PR space, because music PR is very different than creator PR. The way that I would describe it is, in my experience, music PR is very passive and creator PR is very active. And I knew nothing about active PR. And... I just found it so fascinating that and same thing with brand partnerships. I learned so much about brand partnerships from listening to the podcast is called the influencer podcast and it's by a woman named Julie Solomon. And I think she is just the most brilliant entrepreneur creator leaning into exactly what she's really good about. And she shares so much wisdom. I learned more about PR from her than I did in my decade in the music business, working with publicists on a daily basis. Like it's stuff like that, that just makes it really exciting for me to be able to do two things at once, whether I'm driving on a walk, working out, you don't have to be looking at something like that's why I don't like YouTube because I'm never going to sit there. Why would I watch a YouTube video of somebody's podcast versus like watching a fully produced Netflix show? 
Like it just doesn't compute in my mind. <laughs> so you you don't fall down the YouTube rabbit hole at all? No, I no? don't. <laughs> oh, I lose so much time to YouTube. It's stupid. Really? Yeah. The only thing I go yeah. to YouTube for is if I need a quick tutorial. And yeah. even then I'm like, well, skip the intro, starts. get to the point. Like, I just want to know exactly what I came here for. I don't have time for anything else. That's how they get you. I actually nanny. I mentioned I nanny and I have two eight-year-old twin boys and their favorite thing to watch over anything over Disney plus over Netflix is this YouTube channel called Mr. Beast. Are you familiar? Yep. Oh, who hasn't heard of Mr. Beast? Yeah. He's well, got like I never had before I met these boys. million subscribers. Yeah. And I did, I will say at first I was like, what are you guys watching? Why are you watching this? It's so stupid. <laughs> but because I, it's like an acquired taste yeah. now when it's on, I'm like, Ooh, what's the challenge going to be? Yeah. Like, it's like actually like if, and if you can keep eight year olds engaged, you know, it's good content. And that's actually a good reality check for me too, because sometimes they'll be like, let me see your Instagram. Let me see your TikTok," And I just see them being so bored because my <laughs> content is made for adults. Right. And it reminds me say, yes. that I need to step up my content. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, your target audience is not eight-year-old boys, but I'm glad to be compared to them in my YouTube tastes. So, <laughs> appreciate that. No, Mr. Beast is Mr. Beast is a, a YouTube legend at the moment. He's not my my typical cup of tea, but he is. Um, you can't deny his success. He's unbelievably successful. Yeah, very impressive. All right. So your podcast is called Four Things for Your Podcast. How would you describe? what you're doing on the show. What's the show about? I would describe it as a podcast for podcasters that is done in a more, or I guess a, a less boring way than a lot that I've heard. And I know you have a podcast for podcasters too, and I'm not saying yours is boring. I'm just saying uh, what I was finding when I was trying to learn about the podcast industry, I was learning everything from like older men who had been in this industry forever and they are by the book and yep. they have going to teach an old dog, new tricks. And for me, it was like, okay, but like the whole way you win as a creator is to be unique and creative. There's not a one size fits all. And like, we can talk about microphones all day, but that's the least of your worries if you're trying to grow a brand. And so my podcast really speaks to the podcaster who wants to chase a big dream. And they're looking at their podcast as a marketing tool for a bigger brand or business that they're working to build and strategically tying it all together. And so on my podcast, while yes, we'll have an episode where we talk about ratings and reviews and the importance of them, that conversation is really fun and conversational. It's not like a stiff interview. Yeah. And then in the next episode, I might talk to a reality TV star about their experience getting you know, through the interview process and like, how did the show happen? And then how did their life change after the show? And if they started a podcast, like does the reality show audience come over and listen to the podcast? It's like stuff like that. It's like past the kind of basics of podcasting and more into like the bigger picture. Okay. So maybe how you can use a podcast as a, a, a funnel or audience acquisition or just getting eyeballs. I, I, I'm trying to Maybe I'm trying to narrow it down too much and it's just a fun podcast about podcasting. Yeah, it it actually can be all of that. Um, it just depends on the episode, really. The, the whole thing is, in my opinion, yes, my podcast is a podcast for podcasters. I think it's, it, it is important to niche down if you have a podcast. But as far as the content, I don't believe the content needs to be the same from episode to episode. Yeah. I just think that every episode needs to be speaking to the same person. And podcasters are multidimensional. They're not just into the tech, right? Like 
they're into all of these different things. And so every episode, I kind of do a recap at the end of the four things that I took away from the episode that a podcaster may find interesting to help them along on their creator journey. Have you uh, had any like shell-shocking nuggets that you've learned from any of your guests recently that you've taken and applied to your own show? Oh my gosh. I feel like I learned something in every single episode. The one that sticks out the most is a recent episode. It was the episode that came out last week, again, at the time of recording. It's with a woman named Kelly Mosier. And we talked about her strategy for pitching to guests on podcasts, whether you're a podcaster or an entrepreneur, even just trying to dip into podcasting as a way to get exposure for yourself and your brand. And her strategy was just mind blowing. It was backwards than everything all of us usually are doing as far as, you know, how to pitch ourselves to podcasts. And I just found me, I learned a lot from that episode and I took a lot personally away from it. It's changed my pitch strategy. It's changed how I approach guesting on podcasts. And I, I just highly recommend if anyone's interested in that to check it out. I have actually downloaded that and added it to my queue already. I haven't quite got to it yet because I'm working my way through your two-part year-long recap from March, I think. Yeah. And for the person listening, what he's referring to is episodes 36 and 37 are a deeper dive into the story I shared about how I got into podcasting is part one. And then part two is my unfiltered truth year one in entrepreneurship about my download numbers and how much money I was making and how much I spent on ads and how much I spent on coaching and all of that stuff. And then I plan on doing a year two unfiltered at the top of the year, likely in March. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't hide anything. It was very insightful. (laughs) Yeah. I won't hide anything in year two either. So you said, uh, you know, when you're having conversations on the podcast, they're fun, conversational, not always like stiff interviews. And I I will say that I noticed when you're interviewing somebody, you genuinely seem like you're best friends with these people or at least really (laughs) good acquaintances with your guests. And there's, there's a great chemistry there. Are you doing anything in advance of the interview to foster that? Like what's your pre-podcast thing look like to get guests on your show that you're comfortable with? Or is that just your personality? Like, is that something that I can duplicate? Because I'm super (laughs) awkward with my guests when we first get on because I haven't met them before. We've exchanged emails and then it's like, Hey, I'm Chris. All right, let's record. So what what are you doing? Help me be better with my guests. First of all, you're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. And No, actually, I, this is an unpopular opinion, but I am strong, firm against pre-convos. I feel like a pre-convo is what makes you lose that magic because you're not able to interact with that person in real time and get to know them and introduce yourself and, and ask the questions and and kind of get like inspired responses. And so I don't do any pre-convos. The only thing else I'll do is I'll request if they have it, a boilerplate bio, which is just like a one paragraph bio, um, their preferred headshot and anything that's off limits, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, just the basics. But no, I don't really go into anything with them prior to getting on the mic because I really appreciate like the magic of the conversation happening for the first time. And I guess... Sometimes it seems like we're best friends because we are. I've had a lot of my really close friends on the podcast 
which is, is super helpful. But with the people that I've never met before, I think that's just my personality. I just, I've always been able to relate to people really well. And also I'm really particular about who I invite on the podcast. So if I'm not genuinely interested in learning about them and genuinely interested in what they have to share with my audience and excited for my audience to get to know this person, then I'm not going to have them on. So I don't do a lot of favors for people by having their clients on my podcast. Like I'm very, very intentional about that, which I think definitely helps. Okay. So other than being picky about your guests, it's, it's not replicable. Got it. Perfect. (laughs) Excellent. Moving on. (laughs) It is replicable. Just go into it as if you're talking to like your brother, you know, uh, how are you deciding on topics to interview your guests about though? It seems like your guests, when they come on the show, there's a, a central theme that you're trying to elicit answers about, like they're an expert in something. Are you, are you like making a list of topics in advance that you want to cover on your podcast and then you're finding a guest to fill those? Or are you finding guests and then figuring out what topics they could be great at? Like what's your process for that? I love that you noticed that because it's something I really try. I'm trying to be more intentional about doing that, having one episode focus on a very specific topic. And that's something I'll definitely be doing in the new year as much as I can. Sometimes it's hard because, yeah. uh, you know, as content creators, we have to, we just have to put out content sometimes. Right. And sometimes it is just hearing someone's story and what can we take from it? Not every episode can be a training episode because frankly, there aren't that many people out there teaching really well on podcasts. So they're really hard to find. I would love to find as many as possible that I really truly can get behind, but it's just not the case. But no, I I think it's just like pretty much inspired. Um, I don't make a content calendar in advance. I do have a content calendar that helps, especially when I was first getting started into podcasting, the idea of having a weekly podcast was really overwhelming for me. So I did put together a content calendar, but since creating it, I haven't looked at it. (laughs) And I really just find the person that interests me. And usually when I find that person, I already know what I want them to share with my audience. Um, Perfect example is I was at an event a couple months ago at the new Soho house in Nashville. And there was an artist playing. He was the headliner artist that night. His name's Clayton Anderson. His episode actually comes out next week, but in his set, he was a headline artist. And right before he played a song, he said, he was talking about this concept of, you know, it's never too late to chase your dreams. I finally got my record deal and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just blacked out after he said that. I was like, wait, it's never too late to chase your dreams. That's a perfect podcast episode. I went, I beelined over to his publicist and I was like, Hey, I want him to come and talk about this on the podcast. I want him to share his story as a musician, as a creator, because I know that as podcasters, there's so much we can take out of that because a lot of podcasters are getting into podcasting late in life because guess what? Podcasting didn't exist when I was in high school. These these teenagers now have so much technology and opportunity that just wasn't <laughs> available to us. And I probably Damn would kids. have gotten started back then if, if it was an option, but I just yeah. didn't know it was. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... You're finding guests. It sounds like everywhere. I mean, at this concert at Soho House, is that where it was? Yeah. Are they also podcasts that you listen to? Like, yeah, sure. How how are you find How are you finding people? Are you doing Google searches? Like, what? No, this is something. <laughs> when I first got started in podcasting, these were the questions I worried about. It's like, how will yeah. I find guests? How will I have topics? And I'm a little over a year 
No, I'm I'm just under a year of doing guest interview episodes. And it hasn't even been an issue once. Like I yeah. have so many ideas. It's like insane. And it's just a matter of finding the time to record and release them at this point. Like I yeah. actually ran across an Instagram ad about Kelly Mosier is how I found her. I found her Instagram ad and then I clicked on her profile and I was like, oh, she seems to have a really cool pitch strategy. I wonder if she'd be willing to come on the podcast. And I just DM'd her and then emailed, you know, to schedule and boom, she was on and it was the best episode I've released in a very long time. And it's all because I ran across her Instagram ad. So I just always have my eyes and ears open and I'm always, I'm always thinking about it. Like my brain doesn't turn off from this brand that I'm building. And do you think that your experience as a manager helps you at all in any way reaching out to these people and trying to get them to come on? Because I I know that I've reached out to, I actually have a fairly decent hit rate, I think, of the maybe 50 or 60 people that I've reached out to. I've had like 30 people say yes, that they would come on as a guest. That's amazing. And I'm going to chalk up, I'm going to chalk up a lot of the other ones to emails going to spam folders, <laughs> which I think has happened. But um do you have like a, a plan that you follow when you're reaching out? Do you have email templates or how are you going about like, yes, getting the yes to come on your podcast? Yes. My experience as a manager helps me more than I can even put into words because I, for 10 years was on the receiving end of getting pitches because we managed high okay. profile clients. And so I was constantly vetting opportunities. So I know what's important to people and I know how to, I know how to lean into the right things. Like if your download numbers aren't great and you know that, don't lead with your download numbers, right? Right. So yes, it's all about like crafting the perfect pitch, but more so it's really about creator to creator reaching out to make that first connection. And I'm still doing everything my own scheduling and all of that stuff. Think about like the bigger artists that I, I work with still to this day. If there's a huge act that we're going after. I'm not the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Hey, to the, to the creator, why don't you slide into the DMS and just get the yes. And then once there's a yes, then you can pass it along for scheduling. But that like really personal connection and like excitement for wanting that person on your show goes a long way. Are you doing that on Instagram primarily? Or is it like through email? Either one, really, I prefer email because I just move so quickly and it's just so much easier and faster to work in email. But most creators, like as much as it pains me, they're not great about checking their email. And it sucks for them because I'm sure they're missing out on a lot of opportunities. (laughs) But it's just how people are. So yeah, it's just know your audience, know who you're reaching out to and go the way that you feel like it would be best received. And how long roughly do you think it takes? Like from the time you find somebody... How long is it usually taking you to get them on the show, schedule an interview, and then release that episode? Is this like a a one-month process, three-month process? Like, How far in advance are you working? It's all over the board. Again, it just depends on who the guest is and what their schedule is like and what my production schedule is like. Um, There's been times where I invite them and I say, hey, I'm open tomorrow. I had a cancellation. Would you want to just do it tomorrow? And they're like, yeah, and let me just knock it out. And then there's other times where I go back and forth with somebody for months because scheduling is scheduling. You know, everyone, everyone knows about that, but it's just when you're scheduling and it's taking a long time, just know that all of your eggs aren't in that one basket. Just let them take their time. When the time is right, they'll come on 
and just keep that door open. And eventually it usually ends up working out. And speaking of scheduling, I appreciate you either pushing your lunch back or (laughs) taking it early as we're doing this over my lunch break. Normally I'd record these in the evening, but here we are in the middle of the day because I know it fits with your schedule. I appreciate you doing it earlier. The reason I suggested we do it earlier is because my brain shuts off at night. I am a morning person. I am not a night person. If I were to come on this podcast at night, it would be a terrible interview. (laughs) (laughs) What time are you waking up in the morning? It depends. I I aim for six o'clock, but sometimes seven. On my bad days, eight. What is that life like? (laughs) I have to get up at five. At five? Yeah. Yeah. That used to be my life when I had to go to an office. Yeah. But working from home and like, yes, I work for myself. It doesn't mean that I work any less than I ever did. But working from home is the big difference because you're cutting out the commute and like all the bullshit of having to put on makeup and hair and dress nice. If you don't, if I don't have any Zoom meetings scheduled, I save so much time on those days just from not having to get ready because I don't have to go into an office where I may see people. Yeah. I uh, get up at five so that primarily so that I can work on this podcast. And then by six o'clock, it's get the kids up, get them ready for school, get them out the house. And then it's, it's to the real, the real job at that point. Good for you. Yeah. Thanks. So you've released a large number of episodes for your podcast. Is it every week, every other week? It's every week. Mm-hmm. Every week. Okay. And I know that you are using it primarily as like a business building thing. So maybe this doesn't make sense, but do you find it difficult to stay motivated to create new episodes at all? No, I find it. So let me back up. When I first started the podcast, it was I, in my mind, it was like, okay, I'm just going to serve my podcast audience as a way to nurture them into buying my product services memberships, um, using it as like a, a funnel into my income generating products and services. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly that for me personally, that wasn't going to work because I really wanted to share the best of the best that I possibly can with my audience. And I knew that that wasn't going to be just me every week. And a lot of podcasts do work well that way. But for me personally, I wanted to keep learning while I'm doing this in a way that's like fun and I'm building relationships at the same time. And I'm making connections with people that can get me places that I can't get on my own. And I wanted to not filter what my guests were sharing. You know, if they had competing products and services, I let them promote those and I directed my audience towards those. And it became more of my podcast, no longer I'm looking at it as like a funnel into my products and services, but more so as just like building myself up as a credible expert and a friend to podcasters and somebody that they can trust to bring unfiltered information and what they need to know and not hold anything back. And now my goal is more so just getting as many listeners as possible so that I can make money through sponsorships, which is way different than what I first thought I would be doing. I never had any intention of working with sponsors over promoting my own products and services. But if you just follow your intuition, it just takes you places you don't expect. <laughs> so when you say sponsors, do you mean like ads running on the podcast? Cause I know that on yours you have dynamic ads, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can be two ways. Like programmatic ads are the ones where you just kind of place your markers and the marketplace fills them 
based on like a bidding system. Okay. And you're not going to make a ton of money on that until you have a, a massive amount of downloads. Sure. The reason I have that set up on my podcast is because my podcast could theoretically blow up tomorrow and I don't want to miss out on that revenue. Right. Right. And so I just have all of the systems in place so that when it takes off, I'm going to make money right away. But sponsorships can also happen by way of working one-on-one directly with sponsors, which again, you do need downloads to do that. So, and my podcast is very much so still in the growth phase, but if I keep serving my audience in a way that is the focus is fully on them and the value they're getting rather than what am I going to see in return based on enrollments into my programs? Like, I really feel like it's just a matter of time. It'll pay off. Do you have any particular hosts that you look up to as far as podcasters? Like who are you, who are you looking to other than your guests when you're learning from your guests? Like who are you following to learn from, to be inspired by who's on your, your rotation that you're really excited to see a new episode from? If I'm being really honest, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately because it's disappointing to me that I don't have an answer for you. No. When I first started listening to podcasts, I was obsessed. Again, like Julie Solomon is a great example. Like I binged her episodes. I couldn't wait for the next one to come out. Amy Porterfield had great episodes at the time. And Rachel Hollis had a really amazing episode Mm. uh, podcast. And all of these different... It was like the heyday of podcasting. Jenna Kutcher, Russell Brunson, Rick Mulready. Like all of these podcasts were just crushing. But at this stage where I'm at... I'm not finding their all of their content to be as valuable as I once did. I may have outgrown what they're teaching a lot of, yeah, which could be a problem. So, and I'm, of course, they're still serving a massive audience, so they're still doing a wonderful job. It's just me personally, I'm not finding the same value that I was in those podcasts, and I'm I would really love to find something that <laughs> I I look forward to. The one I will say that I do enjoy the most um, outside of true crime, of course, like I love true crime, but as far as like regular podcasts, smartless is one. I just think for many reasons, it pisses me off because they're just massive celebrities and they have so many downloads. And it, to me, it seems like all they do is show up and record and go home and they're just like making millions of dollars (laughs) and their team is doing all the work. And, but But on the other side, they're inspiring to me because their chemistry as hosts and their ease of conversation, there's a reason why people are listening to their podcast. And it's because of the audience connection. They do a really amazing job addressing their audience as a single listener, which I think is super important. Um, Rather than saying you guys or everyone, which I feel creates a huge disconnect. And so they do a really good job of stuff like that. And like, they have a, a you know a fake character named K- uh, Tracy, who's Sean's sister, who doesn't understand industry jargon, and so they've created a really cool character around her. And so they, there's stuff that they do that's really intentional that I do draw a lot of inspiration from. Yeah, I love that show too. Honestly, it, and it also pisses me off, frustrates me that <laughs> you know they're they started it, and it, it is you know it's genuinely a really good show, and they they are obviously very comfortable with each other, and that comes from years of working together, and they're clearly really good friends outside of the podcast, and like all of that matters, and they're performers professionally, and they know how to be on mic, and they know how to act, and their timing's great, and like they have all the all the ingredients, and it's it's still like let's just turn a microphone on and make a podcast, and now we're gonna make 
tons of money and be super successful and get all the downloads and, and everything partially because it's good, but also partially because they just had that brand already with their names. Right. right? Like, yes. And, and you know what? A win is a win. What's that real yeah. or TikTok? It's like, a win is a win. You know, I get it. Good for good them. Good on them for, yeah, capitalizing. People try to say the same thing about Joe Rogan, but the difference is Joe Rogan was hitting the pavement for years and years and years and years and years, which I am very happy for Joe Rogan. I don't have any sort of resentment, resentment towards him. Um, I think a, a lot of my kind of, um, I don't know, I guess it's like bad taste in my mouth comes from being in the music business where I'm constantly seeing people get given opportunities just based on the number of people that know who they are and they don't put yeah. any heart and soul into what they're doing. And meanwhile, the creator next to them is busting their ass and creating killer content and really serving an audience. And they're not getting opportunities just because they don't have enough followers. And that's what, yeah. that's what really disheartens me. Yeah. There's a, a podcaster that I follow, um, Graham Cochran, who's actually been a guest on my show that says something like without an audience, with, with an audience, anything is possible. And without an audience, nothing is possible. So his, his whole thing is like, get your listeners, get your followers, and then you can do basically anything. You could start another podcast, you could sell products, you could, he's an entrepreneurial podcaster as well. So yeah, I definitely resonate with that. In many ways, it has to be the right audience though. Like, right. Um, this is a conversation I have with friends that are on reality TV shows. Um, if you're on a reality TV show about, let's say, your dating life, and then you go start a podcast about cooking that has nothing to do with your dating life, it may not necessarily work out in your favor. But the one thing that always works out is because you were on this show and you have this massive following, people want to be connected with you. And so it opens the door to a lot of opportunities that can help to grow your download numbers over time. Getting back to your podcast, did, did you have any sort of history with the the technical side of audio recording before you started making your podcast? I know you said it was super easy to, to figure it out, to get started. Your podcast sounds good. So I feel like you've you've kind of got that sorted out. Did you know what you were doing at all before getting into that? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I always say it's so easy, but then I forget I do live in Nashville and I have an audio background. Um, I actually <laughs> moved to Nashville to be a songwriter. And so I was okay. recording all of my own demos into GarageBand. And then in college, I was studied the music business and my degree is in music business and my emphasis, which is just like a minor, is actually in audio production. <laughs> so I yeah, took super easy. really advanced audio classes in college. I was recording my final projects to tape not even into Pro Tools, oh, to tape, which the person listening probably doesn't even know what that means. But like... <laughs> Reels. It was a really, really intense program. And so, yeah. yes, I, I was familiar with the microphone and, and inputs and things like that. <laughs> and then I know that it you, you also said that it doesn't really matter. But I have to ask... I don't. I guess I don't have to ask. I want to ask, what is, what is your technical setup right now? What are you using as far as microphone, headphone, software? Yeah. My whole thing is high-level strategy, simple AF tech. And that is what okay. I preach. That is what I share with all of my audience, my clients, everything. Truly, the space you record in is more important than the microphone you use. And so my setup, I'm just, you're looking at me, I'm just in my home office. Like there's nothing special about this room. It has hardwood floors and, you know, regular bare walls. And I haven't put any treatment on the walls. I just have, you know, a couch behind me. I have a couple 
uh, cloth chairs. I have some throw pillows. I have curtains. I have a rug on the floor. So as much padding as possible to absorb the sound without getting crazy about it. And I think my audio sounds just fine. And then the microphone that I'm using right now to record is a Tascam TM70, which is a dynamic mic. I absolutely love it. It was given to me through a partnership, which I love even more. So I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, It sounds great. For somebody listening, I think the best budget mic is the Samsung Q2U, which sounds amazing. And then if you have a little bit more to spend, I love the Shure MV7. Those are my two favorite mics. And then my headphones, <laughs> you're you're watching me wear headphones. Usually I wear earbuds, like just okay. basic earbuds. Because, you know, the big old men audio gurus will be like, oh, well, there's bleed from, you know, the microphone. And I'm like, no, there, there's really not. Unless someone's screaming and you have your volume turned up super high, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I think that earbuds are more discreet, especially if you're an influencer and you're doing video. Like, you don't want to be wearing these massive bulky headphones. Like, earbuds are fine. It's My, part of the look, though. It's part of the podcasting no. look. <laughs> That's the new wave of podcasting. We don't need all of that. Um, My new earbuds are just on their way from Amazon. They should be here any day. And then what else? When I record my podcast, I just record into Zoom, which again, audio gurus will be like, what? But it works just fine. Um, To the trained ear, yes, you're going to hear differences in all of these things. But the normal everyday listener, which is the people that we're all going after to listen to our podcast, they number one can barely tell if they can tell the difference between, you know, certain microphones or whatever, and they don't care. They're there for the content. And as long as it's good, it doesn't have to be stellar studio quality, you know, it's all getting compressed and streamed into a car anyway. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I will say on the the headphones, earbuds thing, I, I agree with the, uh, the earbuds look better. I cannot wear them. Oh, really? They, they kill my ears. I, I haven't found a pair that I could wear for more than like 20 minutes at a time. Well, the, tr- the trick is to have the ones with like the rubber padding on the inside. I can't wear the Apple earbuds either because it's like plastic and yeah. those hurt my ears, but the, the rubber ones seem to work for me. Yeah. And then as far as, uh, I guess you said, I was going to ask you about distribution. You said that you use, did you say I'm trying to, I'm now I'm getting confused with what you said on this interview versus what you said on your, your year end recap. That's like, Oh, I listened to an hour ago. So it's, it's in my head. What service are you using for distribution? I was in that episode. I was using anchor Yeah, and that's what I, you know, use and love. And I recommend to anyone just getting started. It's free. It's fantastic. Does everything you need. Um, but now I've moved over to Spreaker because I've started okay. my new network and I just, I really love what they're doing over there. And I was able to take advantage of the dynamic programmatic ad insertions, which is huge and offer that to all the podcasts on my network. And so it has, you know, this much better functionality than anchor, but nothing that I would be devastated to lose, you know, if I had to go back to anchor. So anchor is a great place to get started. Was moving the RSS feed difficult between the services? I've, I've been on um, the, the, Reddit podcast subreddits and stuff. And there's always somebody asking about moving an RSS feed and I haven't tried it. So I don't know if it's, t- if it's hard or not, but it can seem complicated. I do it yeah. so often that it's like second nature to me. Uh, but it definitely okay. can seem complicated if you've never done it before, but it's, it's really not. And it's doable. If there's somewhere else you'd rather go by all means, okay. highly recommend you move. Cool. So on your annual review episode that I just listened to, you were saying that, you were getting somewhere in the the 40 downloads an episode range. Has that gone up since then? How, how big is your podcast now? 
Yeah, it has gone up, but if I'm being completely honest, not as quickly as I would like it to. Yeah. And I'm actually, as much as like this sounds fake of me to say, I am kind of glad that it's following a similar trajectory as it should. Like, of course, I want to be the exception to the rule and I want to skyrocket to a million downloads tomorrow. But one of the core principles that I feel strongly about is that success in content creation is something that is never going to happen overnight. Again, unless, you know, there's circumstances where if you're on a nationally syndicated TV show and then you release a podcast, that's a different story. But just grassroots content creation, you have to be consistently putting out great content on a consistent schedule with discipline over, I say, around a three-year period before it really starts to see traction. And I'm about a year into this podcast. So unsurprisingly, it hasn't taken off yet. Right. But my download numbers are growing over time. It is going upwards constantly, just at a very slow pace. So while as last year, I think it was averaging, what did you say, like 30 to 40 I think you said 40. Okay. So 40. And now I would say each episode within the first 30 days gets about like 110. Nice. Which again is like nothing to brag about by any means, but it is going upwards in the right direction. And I know that my content just keeps getting better and better. I know I'm not slacking on it. So it's just a matter of reaching the right people letting them listen to enough episodes so that they get to know, love and trust me and start sharing it with their friends and looking forward to new episodes. And, and of course, taking advantage of every opportunity I can to guest on amazing podcasts like yours that are speaking to my exact ideal listeners. So that's hugely important too. And that was going to be my follow-up question. It's, it's growing, you know, steadily, not as much as you would hope and dream, but steadily. What are you doing to to help facilitate that growth? Yeah, well, my number one strategy is guesting on other podcasts. And if you think about it, if you're trying to promote your podcast on, say, Instagram, it's going to be a lot harder to convert the people that you're targeting to listen to a podcast because half of those people probably have never opened a podcast app and your Instagram ad probably isn't going to convince them to. They're there on Instagram because they like Instagram. And so the way to really convert podcast listeners is to speak to people that are already listening to podcasts. Number one, you're removing that whole barrier. So when I go to speak to For instance, your podcast, not only am I reaching your whole audience, but I'm reaching a whole audience that I know is interested in what I'm talking about. And so those are going to be much more valuable conversions for me and much more likely that they'll go check out my show than going and, you know, doing an Instagram live with a huge influencer that has a million followers. I would honestly, I would rather guest on a podcast that gets 50 downloads an episode speaking to exactly who I want to talk to. Yeah, that's something that I need to start doing. I haven't done it yet. So we're, we're approaching the end of my first year making this podcast. And so I wanted to make sure that I could make a podcast consistently and that I liked what I was doing before I started trying to promote it too hard. But I think next year, my goal is going to be being guests, being a guest on other podcasts. What do you see for the future of your podcast? What are you hoping for? Do you like your current format? Are you thinking about changes as we approach the end of the year going into the new year? I wish I could tell you. I just follow my (laughs) intuition and I go with what feels good for me. It's changed so much in the past year alone. Yeah. And 
I'm just going to keep following my gut and pivoting. And I don't want to get too attached to any one aspect of my podcast. As a matter of fact, I was at Podcast Movement. I think it was, oh, it was actually Podcast Evolutions, one of the conferences recently, the one in August in Dallas. And somebody that I really, really respect in the podcast industry, he's the head of a major, major company in podcasting. And he happens to be a fan of my podcast. And he came to me with a notepad full of suggestions. (laughs) But it was all out of love. And like, he's like, you're doing amazing. I was just thinking like, what if you did this too? And like, it's really hard to, to go to a creator with something like that. But because I, he knows that I trust him so much and I trust his opinion, but also I have a backbone. And if it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. I always appreciate his suggestions to me. And he came with a really amazing suggestion. So what I was doing before is when I had a guest on, the last question I would ask is, what are four tips that you have for anyone wanting to learn more on this topic or whatever? Yeah. And he was like, I think you're handing over the expert hat to your guests when you ask that question. Why don't you not ask that question and instead recap your four takeaways? Because your audience wants to know what did you take away from it because they're following you and you're the leader. And I just thought that was so brilliant. And you're just when you're when it's your own podcast, you're so in the weeds that you don't have time to think about the little tweaks like that. Right. And it's little stuff like that that really truly makes all the difference. When I implemented that change. I was hesitant at first, not because I didn't think it was a good idea, but because it was an extra line item on my per episode workload that I'm right. already feeling overwhelmed with sometimes. Right. But I knew that it was such an important key aspect that I had to make time for it. And once I did, it was like it was in such total alignment that it it doesn't even feel like extra work because it just feels so good and it was the right move for the podcast. So going forward, I just want to always keep my eye out for opportunities that are going to improve the show, improve the experience for the listener and just lean into those, whether or not it's more work. Like if it's the best thing for the show, I want to take advantage of it if I can and just keep seeing where it takes me. I had no intention of starting a network and I just started a network because it was the right move. It felt right. It was in total alignment. And now I'm just so excited about that. Yeah. So what is that? Could you talk a little bit about that? As we kind of start hitting the end of this, what is the podcast network? What do you, what is, what's the goal with that? Who's on it? Yeah, it all stemmed from a conversation I had on my podcast with um, a man named Edwin Covarubias. He's amazing. His podcast gets like millions of downloads. It's called Scary Story Podcast, where he literally writes his own scary stories and reads them. Okay. And it just blew up. And he, on on his podcast episode, on my podcast, he was sharing his journey in monetizing at a million downloads. And he was sharing how he had worked with advertising agencies like AdvertiseCast and Podcorn. And he just wasn't making what he could have been making. And he had a conversation with somebody at Spreaker who ran some projections for him. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll try this out. And then he started making so much more money when he switched over to Spreaker. And so I just wanted to be connected with his rep at Spreaker just to form a relationship. I didn't think that my podcast was ready to go beyond Spreaker. Yeah. But I just wanted to form a relationship with her, maybe have her on my podcast. And when I started talking to her, we just connected on a business level because of my experience and my background. And she was like, Angie, you have such an extensive network of podcasters. Like, why don't you just start your own network and see what you can do. Like 
all of your friends who don't have network deals, it's like everyone's leaving money on the table. Why don't you just get everyone together, help each other to cross collaborate, grow your shows and grow and make money together. And I was like, holy shit, why don't I do that? <laughs> and so I set up an S corp and I, the, the network is called Podfluencer collective. And I just reached out to a bunch of friends. This was about two months ago and I already have seven shows on the network. And I, every time I onboard a show, we go through like a whole production facelift and talk about how to make sure that the, the product we're presenting to the world is ready to be pitched. And then we move into the marketing phase and we talk about cross collaborating. We do trailer drop drops on each other's shows. We'll talk about feed drops, guesting on other podcasts. We're able to tap into the iHeart PR department to do cross collaborations with other Spreaker shows. And then once the podcasts grow to 40,000 downloads, average monthly. Then we also get to tap into the whole iHeart sponsorship department who pitches for host red ads. So it's this whole growth monetization engine that we're tapping into. And being the leader of the network, it's really opened my eyes to how much value I do bring to these podcasts. Because if the podcast were just to go sign up on Spreaker on their own, they could access the programmatic ads, but they're still going to be like doing it all on their own. There's too much going on at Spreaker for them to pay attention to each podcast. So me being that middleman and facilitating these conversations and making sure they're getting in front of the right PR people and making sure they're getting, you know, the right opportunities presented as far as promotion is like so huge. It's been so much fun and I'm so excited to see where that goes. So is that primarily what you're doing as far as the network goes is the, the interfacing between Spreaker? Are you like in the weeds on the, on the other shows on the network at all? No, I'm not on the weed in the weeds. The podcast still continue to run their own production. I do have a training session where I train them on how to use the back end. Um, and I do help at onboarding, you know, making sure that their feed transfers correctly. I do that all for them. And then I'm the one, this isn't Spreaker doing this, but I'm facilitating the feed drops, the trailer drops in network and just looking out for opportunities for my podcasters because the podcasters that I'm signing onto the network, I mean, of course I would love a bunch of million download podcasts. Don't get me wrong, right. but where I am right now, because I don't have a huge investment or anything. I'm not offering signing bonuses. It's really finding the creators that I just believe in, that I see working their asses off, that are producing killer content, who are being consistent and who are being disciplined. And I'm just taking a chance on them. And that's what I want to continue to do. That sounds awesome. So everybody should check out Podfluencer Collective. Everybody should also obviously check out your podcast, Four Things for Your Podcast. What is one of the most important lessons that you have learned about podcasting since you started? The most important thing for sure, if your goal is to build your own brand, your own business, and you're not just podcasting for as a hobby, if you have a bigger picture mentality, I think the most important thing that I've realized is the power of networking and in-person relationships, specifically going out of your way to interact with people at conferences is huge. Um, And not necessarily podcasting conferences. Um, If you have a podcast for podcasters, then yes. But if you have a podcast about being a mom going to conferences that target moms, right? Like interacting with the best experts in your field that you can in a way that's disarming. And like at at podcast conferences, I barely ever even go into sessions. Like I am constantly just like 
taking meetings and getting to know people. And the magic happens at the after parties, like where you're just really getting to know people and like really just forming like friendships that lead to opportunities because people want to work with you because you're a friend, right? Like that is for me, the most powerful part of my business is, is those relationships. That's, I mean, that's fantastic advice. And the, uh, the Nashville podcasters meetup, obviously where we met, so stuff like networking that. and in-person relationships, bring it all back together. And if one doesn't exist, start one. Start one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then where can people find you? Where do you want to send people? Thank you for asking. The podcast, you can just go to fourthingsforyourpodcast.com. The number four things for your podcast.com. The network, you can go to podfluencercollective.com. And if you are a podcaster considering joining the network, you can fill out a form and we can see if it's a good fit. If you're a brand looking to do sponsorships with podcasts, you can also go there and submit for that. And we can find the right shows for your campaign. And everything else, if you just listen to the podcast, there's a call to action in every episode with links to get on my mailing list. Just go to the podcast, figure out an episode that looks interesting to you and listen to it. And please keep listening and share it with your friends. Excellent. Angie, thank you so much for uh, coming on Who Makes a Podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I really appreciate what you're doing for the podcast community and for having me on. It's, It's such an honor. So thank you so much. That was my conversation with Angie Griffith, entrepreneur, coach, and host of the podcast, Four Things for Your Podcast, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Angie at fourthingsforyourpodcast.com. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And it would be an even larger help if you shared this episode with just one person who you think needs to hear it. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, please let me know by going to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.